Welcome to How We Got There. I am your host, Mike Davis, founder of Go-To-Market Guides. I interview thought leaders and founders in the Salesforce ecosystem to help ISVs learn new techniques to try and mistakes to avoid. This episode of How We Got There is brought to you by Epiphany. Epiphany is a leading product development outsourcer that has been helping app exchange partners architect, develop, and get their apps through the Salesforce security review since 2009. Epiphany is the only PDO funded by Salesforce Ventures, and its customers include Stripe, Slack, LinkedIn, DocuSign, and even Salesforce themselves. Visit epiphany.com, that's A-P-P-I-P-H-O-N-Y.com to learn more about how Epiphany can help your organization successfully launch your app on the Salesforce App Exchange today. All right. Well, I am here with multiple time founder, Max Michael Meyer. He is the CEO and founder of ISB App. Max, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. If Just to get us started, if you could share a little bit about how you found your way into the Salesforce ecosystem. Absolutely. I am a Salesforce ISV and OEM partner since 2008. I I was told by Salesforce that we are have been with my company back then, that's property based. We've been the first ISV partner, at least in Central Europe, when we signed the agreement. And uh, since then, I've developed this company. Property Base is a native CRM end-to-end solution for real estate agents and property developers. And where did the idea came from to, to start this company? I was I was living, that's kind of exotic actually. I was living for a few years in Dubai in the Middle East, and I was working for another big software company and was in the investment banking and property scene. And I've seen all those big developments, the property developments happening in the Middle East, North Africa, hundreds of millions and billions have spent into those projects. And those companies try to to sell their properties um, off plan, which means they try to sell it before they build it. And they spend a lot of money in, in marketing and advertisement, but in the end, the back end was pretty pure, just generic CRM systems, and they couldn't actually track all the needs and the requirements of, of their, their clients. And that's where the idea came up to to develop a specific solutions for the real estate market on the force.com platform. And that's why we started the, the business. And with having clients in that area, lots of expats have been uh, working there and have been in, in executive positions. They spread the word around the world to Australia, Europe, the US, North America in general, and that's why we could expand over time. But that's basically the story, how I came into the Salesforce ecosystem. Great, and with your new a newer venture, ISB app, tell me a little bit about what that application does. Absolutely. Just about property base, I sold this company and and uh, that gave me the time and and let's say freedom to 
to launch a new business, and that's ISV app. And ISV app, like like it says, it's an app for ISVs, specifically for Salesforce ISVs and Salesforce OEMs. We don't do anything else, just that specific market. Think about a kind of a central toolbox for all the partners, which provides what what everything what you need to understand what's what's happening with your product and what you how your clients use it. So it's a usage analytics platform, a predictive churn analysis engine, and it tells you how your product is getting used, how a feature is getting used, what does it mean for the probability that someone churns or not, meaning or renews or not. Lots of insights for the product management. It's it's a basic tool for customer success. I, I don't know how you can run customer success without having all those product and usage insights. And it was something I wanted to do for a long time because I had this problem or this challenge with acting without usage data for about 10 years with property base. And nothing what we developed ourselves really worked in all the standard solutions. Mike, you and I, we talked about this recently. We, I don't want to mention those names, but those usually, that those general customer success solutions, they don't deliver you any usage insights from a managed package in a, in a Salesforce org. And all that didn't work for me. And then Salesforce, I think it's one and a half, a little bit more years ago, started this development of the App Exchange App Analytics API. And I thought this is now the opportunity to collaborate with Salesforce and develop a plug and play front end for that, for that API, enrich the data with all the data you have in your PBO or in, in your license management application, and then provide meaningful KPIs out of the box without any development necessary, no code, no report configurations and all that stuff. So it's just pure plug and play. And then you have your your vision, let's say your visibility into the usage of your application. Love it. And so let's talk a little bit about churn at Salesforce ISVs. And really for two reasons. One is it's actually a metric that contributes to all of ISV's partner score. So your individual retention stats is part of your partner tier where, where Salesforce puts you as an ISV. And then also just if you're out there thinking about institutional capital or ever looking at an app, both gross churn and net dollar retention are going to be two of the most important metrics that the VC or a PE buyer thinks about. And so from your point of view and your experience, since you work with a bunch of different ISVs, what usage metrics are critical for an ISV to track? You mentioned this already, that it really depends on the situation of the ISV. If you are in the middle of fundraising and you're... I would say it doesn't have to be due diligence, but it's, let's say, pre-due diligence and, and potential investors really want to understand how healthy is your business. So they have seen, they understand the product, the total addressable market, they have seen your financials. But usually what, what you've done in the past or still today is that investors, they want to do reference calls. They want to talk to real clients of yours and want to get some feedback. Now, this still will happen even if you have ISV app, but with ISV app, you can build a whole level of trust with your potential investors since you can show them on actual data for a long historical time how your app is used and how it is adopted. A huge problem actually with lots of 
lots of apps on, on Salesforce is that some customers are actually only using a part of the application and you as the actual developer of, of the app, you don't know that because you don't have any visibility in there. And then by coincidence, it can happen that reference calls don't work out so well than, than you might have hoped. And with the usage insights, which you have an ISV app, you can not only pick the right clients for the reference calls, but you can provide, let's say, really solid data for your investors and, and tell them or show them actually how healthy your business actually is. So uh, that's interesting. Really good insight. And then thinking even for small ISB, like founders who haven't built out their true customer success practice, whether they have ISB app or not, what tips would you have to leverage customer usage insights to reduce churn? I mean, first of all, my advice would be to install something. Obviously, I recommend ISV app uh, from the very beginning. So even if you are a startup, a startup in terms of you don't have any clients at all, or you just have the first handful of clients, have a usage analytics solution in place. We at ISV have an offering for those startups. We say uh, the first customers are free just because we want to, you get used to the application and then get all the insights because they're critical for your product development. And as we all know, the better the product, the easier the sales are going to be. So even if you have a handful or two handful of, of customers, and I, I hear this already uh, all the time from, from people in the market, hey, I don't have so many clients. I know of all of them personally. I know they're doing well, but then I always say, yeah, but you probably talk to the owner or two or three people in the team. The team is 20 people. And how do you know what the adoption is? Even if it's just one, your point of contact tells you, hey, everything's fine. It doesn't mean that the team feels fine who's using your solution. So I recommend to have that that solution in place. And then you have to, and I think it's 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 less about the KPIs because I can tell you whatever solution you use for usage analytics, there is a bunch of KPIs which are going to be helpful for you. Lots of not, not so much really depends on your business. I think more important is that you have responsibilities in your team in place which are tracking this data, looking at the data and know what it means and take the right conclusions out of that. So meaning having the right people means the people with knowledge, experience and the right skill set in place for product management and for customer success. Great. Thanks for all of that. Like I am so interested in in the problem that you're solving. Let's let's pivot a little bit and just more in general, whether at ISB app or, or anytime in the ecosystem at property base, what are you most proud of? I mean, first of all, that's that's my family. I know that sounds a little bit cheesy, but that's reality. And you know, if you're coming to a certain age, then you realize career is one thing, success is one thing. And I'm very proud about what I've achieved with in my life with other companies, or especially with Property Base, and now what we're doing with ISV app. But a highlight in my life is, is definitely the family, my wife, and my two kids. But if you ask me from a from a career perspective, then it was really exciting to build Property Base because Property Base is is a global company. We had offices from Australia up to North America with stuff on the ground, customers in 60 plus countries. And just building this up and collaborating with those customers over the last 10 years 
was so exciting and it gave me so many insights about or into other cultures, into other countries. And, and that that was, was a pretty amazing experience. Yeah, sounds like it. On the flip side, what's what's been your biggest mistake? I can't say there's just one big mistake, but for sure I've made a lot of them on the, on, on the way. And for just talking about the business side here again, I think if you're raising money and you have the money in your account at uh, the end after the closing, the question is, what do you do with that? I mean, obviously the question shouldn't be there because you have a business plan, but you have to execute this business plan. And one of the mistakes I've done in the in the early time of my career when I when I started raising money, I didn't spend the money fast enough. Because what does it mean? Let me explain. Most of the money in a software company goes into headcount. So you have to hire people, whether that's developers, salespeople, marketing, you name it. And that's crucial for your success because as a software as a service company, you have a business plan modeled primarily on headcount, unless you have a low-touch application in place, then it's it's um, advertisement, it's marketing expenses and all that stuff. But for all those low-touch and other applications where you even have a key account approach, you can, can only scale with the number of people you have in your team. And this has an impact on your next financing round and on your, let's say, on primarily on your, your burn and cash rate. So if you don't spend the money fast enough, you don't burn money so much, so fast as planned. But on the other side, you cannot be so successful as planned in your business plan. And that's one of the things I, I needed to need to learn the hard way that raising money means also spending money, not right away, not everything right now, but as you have planned it in the business plan, don't delay it for a quarter or two, because that's going to be a problem for your top line and your Bottom line, probably not so much because in that uh, period, you're not having a profit, but for your top line and your growth rate. And so, and then on the other side, hiring is one thing, firing is the other thing. I hate firing people, but in order to have a healthy growing business, you have to make decisions fast. A lot of people, especially here in Europe, and I know in, in, in the US, that's going to be a little different. In North America, you got, you make more where you, you make decisions faster if you say, okay, this guy stays in the job or this should not stay because it doesn't fit for whatever reason. The rest of the world, people tend to keep it for months over and over and again. And then, well, with six months and this guy is still with us, nobody knows why he's here. He's spending money. He's not helping with growing the business. He's not contributing to the success of the company. And you, you burned a lot of money this way. So what I recommend here is whoever you hire for whatever um role or position in your company come up with concepts a clear concept for the, the guy you have hired and for yourself to make sure okay is that the right one you're not going to find this out within a week or two but hey make a plan for the first four weeks make a plan for the first six or eight weeks but not longer than that after that you have to be sure this is the right one or not and last but not least, sorry, Mike, uh, probably the other most successful thing I've established in, in my career was a leadership team. Because if you're running, if you're founding a company and you, you're running this by yourself and maybe you have a co-founder, maybe you have a, a third founder, but more than that, it's kind of an unusual uh, situation. So you're just two or three people and then you have 20 employees, 50 employees, 80, and then you're coming to a point where 
words words getting over your head. You're trying to you have to get out of the nitty gritty details. You 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 should not micromanage. That's very important. But in order to do that, in order to allow you to have a step back, you have to have a, a broader management in place. And that's something what I learned is very useful to build up uh, one, two, three, let's say one, two years before you really want to establish it. So you have to have people in your team, which you can coach to come into that position. And the goal should be that you have a broader leadership team, whether it's five, six, seven, eight, that it really depends on your company. But those guys are in place. So just think about actually you have <laughs> you have an accident, you've got to be away from the business from one second to the other, but they can run it. It's, it's not going down. That's the security. And later on, if you want to sell the company, it's very helpful to plan your own exit because you have the executive or the, the, the broader management already there. They run the business and it helps you to fade out of the the business if you want that. <laughs> yeah, eliminate that key man or woman risk. Uh, that makes a lot of sense. Let's talk a little bit about lead sources over your years because you've been in the ecosystem for, for over a decade now. And Feel free to take this to Property Base or ISB app. But uh, over time, what's been your top producing lead source? Yeah, well, since I'm in the ecosystem only with two companies, I, I can only talk about those. So for Property Base, it was organic search with keywords like like real estate CRM. That was kind of easy in the early days, let's say 2009, 10, 12, 13, 14. And then that keyword market was very was getting very, very competitive because every CRM company out there tried to compete in every industry, even they, if they didn't have an industry-specific solutions. Even Salesforce was competing there and said, real estate CRM. And we all know Salesforce doesn't have a real estate CRM, but still their marketing team was, was paying ads for that. And But still, it, it drove a lot of traffic to us. And until today, I would say quite the majority of the leads are still inbound. And only on only portion is is outbound for the property based business. With ISV app, it's kind of a different experience because think about it: the ISV app market, the total addressable market, are just all the ISV and OEMs out there. And I think this the numbers are no secret. You have a couple of thousands of uh, companies on the app exchange, and and this those are the ones we want to target. Now, not everyone is is naturally a, a perfect fit uh, because if your tech stack is uh, somewhere else and you just have an integration just to say, hey, I'm on Salesforce, and but you don't really make any business and some others are very early stage and don't earn uh, money at all. So if you cancel them out, then it's probably less than half of them, which is, is probably the total addressable market. So that community is very, very small. Now, we started... Um, the business during the lockdown periods last year and all the events where you normally meet those ISVs and OEM partner, they didn't happen. So socializing and, and talking to people and then tell them what, what, what great solution we have built was not possible. And we heavily rely on something else because, again, paid ads that don't work. No one is actually <laughs> searching on Google for usage analytics for Salesforce ISV partners. Now that's absolutely no one's doing that. And even in the Salesforce uh, partner community, that topic is not coming up so often. So we heavily rely on on networking, 
on referrals, on uh, recommendations, on intros by Salesforce. I'm really happy that Salesforce is supporting us uh, a lot, especially the ISV team and the App Exchange team. So that's that's a different experience because you know we we can't just use money and say, okay, here's the holy grail of generating leads, and we just put money on that. That's not the way it works. We have to socialize and we have to talk to people and uh, every call I do I have to provide a value to the other pe- other guy on on the side on on the other side of the microphone or the telephone and if I can't do that then we're not succeeding so so in- interesting different approach but then I can tell you the conversion rate for ISV app is much much higher. Just you know, think about it. As someone is recommending another ISV partner our solution, or Salesforce making the intro, so that conversion rate is much much higher than with organic search or or, or SEM SEO. Yeah, that makes sense. Switching from lead sources into SIs, what what's your thoughts? What have you done in the past around incentivizing SIs and recruiting SIs to refer your ISB business? This is a pretty good question. And I've made quite some experience with property base back then because my... My thinking was there are so many Salesforce consulting partners out there um, who can do the implementations of property base all around the world and they can make additional money. Uh, good money can have quick and dirty projects for the smaller companies or can even have week-long, month-long projects with the with really big real estate companies out there. Reality is, yes, those ISIs are interested in getting the projects or the consulting revenue, but don't think that they have a real motivation for you to go out there and source deals to them. I'm not saying that's not going to happen. It happened for us a few times here and there, but it was not a constant flow. So I think a lot of people who don't have experience with channel sales, they think, wow, I just built up partners. And even if they're only consulting partners, we just built them up and they do the job for us. And I get, I don't know, 20%, 30%, and later on 50% of the revenue of my company comes from those partners. That might work, but I highly doubt that for a Salesforce ISV and OEM who's doing B2B sales, that, that this is the way to go. I'm not saying don't do that at all. It's it's just about being realistic. The motivation of SIs is is really they want to do consulting, they want to sell the project. They don't they're not interested in selling your licenses. And actually putting them into the position that they should promote your licenses or your software can put them into an awkward position. So I'm just saying, just be realistic as eyes are good for getting leads here and there, but don't put as eyes as a strategy in your business plan where you heavily rely on. I love it. Yeah, I talk to folks about that uh, often. It's like, all right, look at your lead mix and your and your funnel mix from MQL to SQL to SQO to closed one. 
and think about what, what the healthy mix is, whether it's direct through your website and app exchange, each one of those channels gets, gets filtered down a little bit more. And SIs, I think, can present a great opportunity to scale if, you, if, if an ISV wants to commit the resources to it. But don't think it's don't think anybody else is going to sell your app for you, I think, is uh, the lesson to learn here. <laughs> Absolutely. Just on a side note, at the very beginning, I thought PropertyBase was so unique that even Salesforce had to sell us. Because to me, when I we started the business, we said, hey, uh, SalesCloud is just a generic CRM. The opportunity management process doesn't work for real estate companies. How do you uh, manage your listings? How do you syndicate your, your properties to real estate portals like Zillow and all the others? And I was so naive thinking that Hey, Salesforce has to understand that. But the reality is that motivation for Salesforce is somewhere else. And, and the same thing actually applies for, for SIs or consulting companies or agencies in general, everyone who's selling consultancy work. You have to understand what their motivation is. And their motivation is, 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 is billing hours, billing days, and not making revenue from commissions or royalties uh, from your software. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And with Salesforce, same thing. They're going to sell Slack, Tableau, MuleSoft, Revenue Cloud, Service Cloud, Experience Cloud. They have all these things they can get 100% of. Like your 15% is kind of interesting through your ISV force agreement, but not as much. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, Mike, you, you're talking about a um, very important point. I mean, and think probably most of the audience which will hear that podcast will be Salesforce uh, partners, so they they know the terms. And if you have to pay 15% of royalties to Salesforce, and now and let's make an example. There's an account executive out there, a Salesforce account executive, who has to sell sales cloud for $150 list price. And then you come with your solution and you asking $30 per user per month and 15% of that $4.50 goes to Salesforce. And from that $4.50, that account executive should get a share. I mean, how motivating is that? It cannot work. <laughs> yep, absolutely. So from a recommendation standpoint, what do you think every ISV should do this month? Well, I, I mean, it sounds sounds probably a little funny, but because I, I, I tend to make advertisement for my own solution, but I think check the usage of your app and, and understand and, and see how your customers are actually using that or if they're not using it at all or just in, in have a lousy usage. I'm just saying that because that's pure money. I've made a survey just recently with a handful of Customers uh, which are using ISV app, all of them medium sized, that means a couple of million up to 10 million revenue. And they had to answer two questions. The first one was, what was the immediate return of ISV app after you turn it on? And the immediate return was, they just turned it on and they just had a list in front of them with all the accounts at risk. That's why I'm saying, if you just have whatever it is in place, it doesn't have to be ISV, yeah, built your own solution. But if you understand which are the ones which have, let's say, a low or a bad usage of your application, then something is going wrong here and you have a high risk that those customers will not renew. And that's why I'm saying it's 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 pure money. The companies I was talking to with that 5 to 10 million revenue range, they said, 
within the first couple of weeks, they identified accounts with a hundred of a couple of hundred thousand ACV, and they could all save them just by looking at that list and understanding what the usage is. And again, you don't have to use ISV app. Do whatever you can do. Build your, something by yourself. But it's, it's really crucial. You spend so much effort in getting new clients and you're trying to expand your customer base. Don't forget your existing customers because you spend a lot of effort and money into them to get them. And there might be a, a return of investment period, which you have to keep them on board. And if they just, if you just lose them after 12 months, those customer acquisitions costs are not in any relationship to, to the revenue which you get from them. So make sure that they stay on board for a couple of years. And that's the only way how you can do that. This is to understand how they use your product. That's great. I mean, I think about, so the GTM Guides works with clients and uh, ISVs across the, the sphere from just starting out a couple of founders all the way up to really recognizable brands who are, are looking to tune something up. And I think about each of those and how they could use it differently. Because if you start to look at usage and, and you're just starting out as an ISV, that can help you figure out what your ICP is. And then after that, it, uh, your ideal customer profile, after that, you can start to think, see, given each ICP that you might sell to, and hopefully it's not too many, what are the key features to adopt and bounce that off of your, your waterfall, your, 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 your churn analysis internally. And then on a more mature level, it can, it can tell you where to lean. So if you're an ISB app that has thousands of customers, you can, you can start to see trends and, and lean into specific markets. So I, I see this again, whether it's ISB, ISB app or, or out of the box, I'm sure ISB app is worth a look, but just do something and operationalize it. That would be, would be my message there. Absolutely. And, and I mentioned this before, do it from the very beginning. Don't wait until it's too late because if someone is asking me, Max, what is the right timing to establish a solution like that? And I said, it's even if you don't have any clients at all. Uh, I had this conversations with a couple of PDOs in, in the market and, and those PDOs, they built applications for customers which want to go into the Salesforce ecosystem. And the PDOs, some of them actually, we have an agreement in place. They install ISV app from the very beginning, even before security review, just to make sure that once the first client is on board, you can measure usage. Obviously, this will not give you the information whether this client will, will stay on board or not, but you have a, an early product. I mean, the, the first version with, with what you go in the market cannot be the final one or is, is not the, the most mature one, obviously. And, but still, you want to understand what works good, what, what doesn't work good. And that's why I'm saying whatever solution you have in place, understand it from the very beginning. And then on the other side of the scale, if you already have a couple of hundred clients, most likely your customer success team or the, the reps which are responsible for the renewals, or that team is not big enough to talk to every client on a, even on a monthly base, Al almost impossible. And that's why you have to have tools and automation in place which tell you how healthy those accounts are. And, and that's why I'm saying it's, 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 it's a pity if you spend so much effort and money and time in acquiring your clients and get them onboarded 
and then you leave them alone or you actually don't want to leave them alone but you do because you're not you don't know what's going on it's a black box for you that's that's a pity if you if you if you lose them i think with whatever solution you have in place you can reduce your churn dramatically and that has a ma major or a huge impact on your top and your bottom line yep Absolutely. Well, Max, we're going to move into the final three uh, rapid fire questions, 10 second answers each. You ready to go? Absolutely, Mike. Let's go. All right. Who is one company or person in the ecosystem that you track or follow? There is not only one company I'm following besides the work of some internal Salesforce teams, whether it's from the product side uh, or especially the App Exchange uh, product development, which I'm following, it's interesting to see what kind of strategies they have, where they go to. There is a couple of ISVs out there which seem to be or can be very inspiring. It started many years ago with the guys from Viva, then Velocity, and currently I'm having a close eye on NC, by the way, not only from a product perspective, but also from an investment perspective, since they've done a great IPO last year. And I know some of those people and we talked to them. So, so I'm just following what's going on with those let's say larger ISVs and on the other side, and I know Mike, I only have 10 seconds, but 10 seconds here in Germany is uh, like 30 minutes probably. Sorry, <laughs> joking here. No, and then very interesting is actually to follow those, let's say medium-sized companies, which are really on the border to make the next big step, which have great fundings. Just mentioning Lidify, for example, Flowhaven, Copado. Those are companies which doing a lot of things pretty pretty well and it's it's always interesting to see what they have done what i have done with property base what could i have done better uh, how do they do it and and those are the companies and people i follow great and uh next what would you tell yourself from day one of working in the ecosystem that depends actually what kind of business you do with salesforce whether you are an oem or an isv and I know some of them, some of those partners out there have both, but primarily you have to decide whether you want to be the one, uh, the ISV or the OEM. And if you are the one which you're building your own standalone solution, you package force.com and, and, and you sell it to the market, then I recommend focus on yourself. Don't look left and right. Don't rely on Salesforce. I'm not saying that Salesforce cannot help you, but I would say you have to build up your business. It's like by coincidence, you have chosen the force.com platform. Hopefully not by coincidence, but with a plan, but it's, it's just another tech stack. And then you have to build up your company and it's just you and your team. And you have to make the right decisions. Building an add-on for a Salesforce product is a different strategy. And therefore, if you want to go that route, I recommend to think really, really hard about uh, the added value, what that add-on delivers, and then under try to understand what could be a motivation for Salesforce to recommend you to their existing clients, to your, their new clients. So what is their uh, return of investment if they bring you into a project, an onboarding, an existing client? Is that retention? Is that an easier sales for the account executives? Whatever it is, this is something what you have to, to think about. Nice. And lastly, what gives you energy in your personal life? 
Well, I uh, I do a lot of sports and um, trying to do this with my family. Then then I'm a mountain biker, uh, primarily bike park and downhill that stuff, uh, but also do some some road biking to uh, increase my endurance. Um, I make music, and Mike, you know that. I'm sitting in a room with a lot of guitars and amplifiers and here old stuff. And uh, and then I'm very enthusiastic about uh, fast cars. <laughs> so <laughs> there's a lot of things I can do uh, to relax and, and think about uh, not thinking about the business and getting out of the stress. Nice. Well, on the backside of the pandemic, we'll definitely have to meet in person and uh, go for a bike ride. But Max, this has been great. Thank you so much for joining the pod. And yeah, we'll talk soon. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening. And I hope you learned something from today's episode of how we got there. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure to subscribe on iTunes and leave a review. I'll see you here next time.